Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we are recording episode 86 and we are here with Beth D. Carter. Hi Beth. Hi. How are Welcome you? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. So Beth D. Carter is a US-based author who writes romance novels. By day, she's a pharmacy tech, and by night, she writes. Beth has been published for 13 years, which is really impressive. When your application came through, I was like, oh, wow, I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing how this has gone for you over your whole journey. Um, and she also has an impressive 100 plus books published, ranging from short stories to novel length. So I'm really excited to jump in and ask you some questions about how you got to this point. Yes, let's jump right in. So something that we usually like to start off with, just to test the waters and see sort of how everything began for you was, you know, how did you start writing? And when did you decide to pursue it more seriously and think about getting your books published? Well, I've always been a writer. I think anybody who <clears throat> wants to be a writer has been writing their whole life. And my really interest in books, I mean, when I was a child, I read everything. And when I was about 11, I went to my mom's bookshelf and I pulled one of our Harlequin Presents and I read it. And to this day, it still boggles my mind that my mom let me read her romance novels when I was like 11. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, I would never do that with my child now. I'm just like, no. I feel the same. <laughs> Sorry, my parents did that too. They just let me read whatever. <laughs> yeah, my mom was like, oh, I'd rather you read it or watch it and then ask me questions than go off <laughs> yeah. with your friends. And I'm like, okay, I kind of get that. I kind of do that with my own son. But still, I'm like, no. I started writing uh, uh, kind of blurbs. Like I would read a book and I would think of a story and then I'd write a blurb. And that's how I kind of started my writing journey. And then when I got older, you know, I was writing longhand back then because, you know, it was, you know, the stone age. And I was writing longhand in my notebooks. And my mom, my first typewriter was a manual typewriter. Then she got me one of the first computerized um, <laughs> typewriters. But you still had to put like the little um, white, to, if you made a mistake, the little white out little cartridges. And then finally, when I got my first like computer or laptop, I was like, that changed my world. I'm like, oh, I can write, I can edit without going back and putting little white tabs in it. That was fun. And then in my fast forward into my 20s, I moved to Paris, France in my 20s. And I started writing this romance novel that was set in Paris, of course, because I would go on like journeys every day. I would get on the bus and I would just write a journey and I would come back and I'd write about what I what I did. Are you guys still there? Yep, yeah, we are. Yeah. Okay. I'm just absolutely mesmerized. <laughs> okay. So, so um, when I got back to the States, it was about 2009. And I thought I was thought about getting published. And at first I thought my book was amazing. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to have that agent sell it to these big, the big five, one of the big fives. And then I was going to be on my, on my set. And of course 
rejection, rejection, rejection. So it was a lot of rejections. Mm-hmm. Then I, this thing called e- e-books started coming out, like e-publishing. And I was like, oh, what's that? So I was starting to read more into it. And I decided to take a leap of faith. And I, I sent my book to four e-publishers. And one of them said, yes, it was Siren. I was in the line at the uh, post office and I get a phone call and it's at this, you know, publishing house. And they're like, we would like to publish a book. And I had to get out of line and I'm jumping up and down. And these people in the post office are just looking at me like I was crazy. But oh my gosh, um, that would be so yeah. exciting. I was be. so exciting. That was probably kind of like in, in my uh, journey of getting published. Like it if it wasn't for ebooks, I don't think that I would be a published author. Maybe, but probably not. It was before e-publishing, it was very hard to break into mm-hmm. pub- be an author and to break, uh, break into publishing. And what I find interesting is that, you know, nowadays e-publishing is where everyone makes their money as well anyways even though it's nice to have the print book in your hand like the costs involved with printing mean that you don't actually make that much from it so it's kind of become the way of the future and it's kind of cool that you entered it at the beginning when it was just kind of starting up I think that's really cool because you know I was like what's this I remember thinking what's this e-publishing about it's, I, you know, people always say to me, oh, I love the smell of books or I love the feel of the book in my hand. And I get it. I, I have a whole library of books, of published books <laughs> and all of my favorite authors, I, I buy their books. So I get it. But you can't stop technology and technology is, you know, saving resources. So it is, you know, e-publishing, yeah. you know, it's everything is going to be done online. I mean, my son goes, is in high school. And he doesn't have one textbook. He has a Chromebook and everything's done on Chromebook. There's nothing, there's no textbooks at all anymore. I mean, he's learned how to type before he learned how to write, you know, basically. That's crazy. (laughs) But that's the way of the future. Yeah. You know, like I do kind of know that, like in my head that, you know, um, like my husband's in education and like they have like MacBooks at school and the classes like use the MacBooks and things like that. But it, doesn't really compute to me that like haha no pun intended yeah. <laughs> that, that you know it's just like a normal thing now to use like a computer during class whereas it, it was exciting for us right because we'd get like computer time and we'd have like oh my first computer was like one lesson long, you know yeah and and that was to like literally learn how to work the computer not really to do like other stuff on there (laughs) yeah you remember the classes you had to take to actually learn how to use a computer it was like (laughs) in high school well mine was in uh middle school I had to like learn I had to take a class to learn how to use the computer it was so funny yeah but back then it was it was black and green like that was the screen (laughs) like when when they first started up and you had to like enter the drive to be able to like enter exactly go into it yeah you pick out your floppy disk c drive remember the games yes c drive equals slash slash exactly (laughs) it's like i'm pretty sure like a lot of um younger people would not even think about that now because it all just does it automatically (laughs) i remember sending my first email like i had a friend 
who I had a computer that I just did for typing. And he's like, oh, no, no, install AOL. And then we could send email messages. And I'm like, why? I can just call you up and talk. And he's like, no, 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 send an email. And I remember <laughs> sending that first email. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> it was like sending a letter, but, you know, faster. <laughs> That's funny. It's amazing. I wanted to ask you a little rewind about when you said you used to write blurbs um, when you uh-huh. first got started. Do you have any of them still? Because they would be quite oh, no. no. I don't. And I wish I did because I probably could come up with a lot. If I could remember all the stories I came up with back then, yep. I'd be like, ah, I'm rolling in you know, story ideas. Uh, <laughs> no. I also, when I was like 15, 14, 15, I wrote a book longhand in a spiral bound notebook. And I wish I had stupid me threw that away. And I wish I'd kept that because I'd have been like, oh, that's would have been so golden. But, you know, now I tell my son, don't throw anything away. <laughs> like he's an artist, you know, he draws, he's an artist. And I'm like, don't throw any of your work away. And he's like, mom, this is a lot of stuff. And I'm like, nope, we're going to keep it all just in case one day <laughs> you're going to look back and Never wish know. you had kept it. Yeah. I think I threw away the, the, like we started one of ours round, like our book that's now published, we started in our teen years. But before that, I think the one before that, that that I tried myself, I threw away. But to be fair, I remember what it was about and I don't think there's really any ideas there. (laughs) Yeah, I remember what mine was about too. And I'm like, I won't go into it, but I'm like, oh, I could have tweaked that a lot, but oh well. (laughs) We did keep our original of the one that we got published. So that's always an enjoyable experience it's so funny it's funny and does make you feel a bit better about yourself that you know sometimes it feels like you're making really slow progress but when you look back you're like oh no I'm very different now it's okay yeah (laughs) you learn a lot in this journey of writing yeah yes but I still enjoy writing blurbs I'm like I I think I'm pretty good at it so you know that was all it was all preparation of you know the writing career that I have now (laughs) Talking about um, sources of inspiration, I'm going to like jump ahead a little bit, but is there any sort of other places that you get your inspiration from or what is it that drives your stories? Well, I always set my stories in places that I have lived. So I, I don't like going into places that I don't know about. So if I don't, if I haven't lived there, some places I have made up completely because I'm like, I don't know what the town looks like or whatever. So I'll make up, a, I'll make up a town and then create it. But if I've lived it, like I used to live in Los Angeles. A lot of my books are set in LA. I lived in Louisiana. So one of my books is set in Louisiana. I have a lot in Missouri because that's where I'm from. I'm, I was actually raised in Missouri. So a lot of my books are from Missouri. Almost mm-hmm. all of my motorcycle club series is in set in Missouri. Uh, I've, I've written several books where the heroine is like traveling. Like, so, you know, I live, I wrote about Paris and I've traveled all throughout Europe. So a lot of places that I've been to in Europe, I've written about, but I take, um, inspiration from lots of many things. And a lot of times it's my, it's my, (laughs) the bad guys in my story, like on my job. So I have a lot of irritating people. I can imagine working in a pharmacy and there is a couple that I call my public enemy and those particular people I will kill off in my books. Like my, my bad guys will have their names, maybe not their names names, but like a version of their name or 
like the first name and then I will like be very happy killing them off or sending them <laughs> to jail or something off. And that's like, that's my passive aggressive vengeance. <laughs> yeah. Therapy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sounds fun. So what other sort of favorite authors do, are there any favorite authors that inspire you or other oh. writers? Yeah, there's lots of them. Uh, one of the ones that I, Judith Tarr is a fantasy novel, uh, fantasy novelist. And if you want to build like the world, the world building for her is just amazing. I love um, Shay Savage. She's a fantastic writer. Another world builder. That's great. Lisa Kleypas, Sam Crescent. I've recently, recently fallen in love with the writing of a uh, RG Angel and Penelope Bloom. If you've ever heard of those two authors, um, I've just fallen in love with their writing and they're making me read. I was never a fan of mafia romance. Like there's a whole subgenre out there d- dedicated to mafia romance. I did not now, know that. I, <laughs> no, there's the, yeah. and I never liked that cause I'm not into mafia movies or anything, but the way that RG Angel writes her books is just, it's, it's, it's okay. So I was telling my therapist this, and this is funny because I said, any sane woman would not fall in love with any of the characters I write, like <laughs> motorcycle men, mafia men, you know, these are in real life, these are bad people, right? So you would never, but the sure. fantasy is like a hooker with a heart of gold. These are, these are, you know, dangerous men with a heart of gold. And the right. fantasy is you can safely explore these, you know, fantasies that you have in the setting of a book. So that's yeah. the reason why a lot of these books are so popular. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and it's not about, okay. So another thing is people think romance novels is all about uh, sex and it's porn, but it's not. It's about the journey of the heroine being, you know, undertaken. I mean, you could look at Bridgerton, for instance, on, you know, that was based on Julia Quinn's books. In the books, there is like maybe one sex scene that's kind of like, not a full uh, full fledged sex scene, but it's sort of kind of like a watered down because it's set in the Regency times, and she writes from that period. In the show, yeah. however, it's full blown. <laughs> but in the books, it's not really that full blown. So it's like there is a story, and there's it's the journey of the woman and uh, of finding either finding herself or overcoming something, or it's the it's the bad guy who needs who's redeemed through love. And it's those mm-hmm. fantasies that women really gravitate to, and, and men. There's a lot of, I've, I know a lot of men uh, romance authors as well, you know, that they write yeah. their own, their own uh, stories about that. So that's what yeah. my take is. Well, that's what romance is. Romance is not just um, about sex or about, you know, porn or yeah. anything. It's, it's the journey. I feel like people assume a lot of things about genres like that yeah um it's the same similar thing with horror is that a lot of people think it's all gore when it's not Um, right my son loves horror like you know he wants to be a horror game maker he wants to uh he loves like the five nights at freddy's and the bendies and you know the dark deceptions he liked he likes all that stuff so you know it is it's like he doesn't like the gore he likes the story of like Freddie and Jason, he loves their backstory. <laughs> yep. So he's into all these. When he was like in third grade, I'm like, should I worry about you? And he's like, no. 
you know, he doesn't want to see the gore. He wants to know the stories of why Jason became Jason or why Michael became yeah, Michael. Yeah. He likes that story. The journey of people either overcoming or being consumed by darkness, I feel. Exactly. It's kind of more the, but yeah, romance, I feel like is similar in the terms of like, yeah, people making assumptions about, oh, it's all just this person and that person getting together and yeah, that there's not and romance, like anything more to the storyline. Exactly. And romance is actually the best selling uh, genre of all time. Like it's a yeah. billion dollar industry. It outsells everything else, you know? So yeah, I know it's huge in the self-publishing sphere as yeah, well. And, exactly. And, and, and the another the good thing, traditional sphere. well, what's good about e-publishing is that it has opened up a genre of all these genres, whatever your fantasy is, whatever your, if you like the taboo, if you like the dark, if you like whatever, it opens up like there is a story for everybody. So it's like, it does give you a safe nest to, to, to read about these fantasies without having to put yourself in danger or whatever, you know, like you're not going to go to <laughs> yes. hell's angels and say, Hey, let me find the motorcycle guy with a heart of goat because they don't exist. But you can uh, read about them in the safety of your own bedroom or whatever, or on your tablet or phone. I was going to ask you a little bit about how you juggle your writing with your work as a pharmacy tech. And also, um, obviously, you have a family and you've mm -hmm. also published a lot of books as well. So how do you sort of fit all of that in? Well, my goal is to write five books a year. That's my goal because this business, because of ebook, the downside of ebook publishing is that it is not lucrative. It is very hard to get your your personality, your your stories in front of everybody because there's the the market is just flooded. I mean, look at Amazon, you know, publishing. I also indie publish on Smashword um, that went to. Uh, digital something it went somewhere else and um so since this market is kind of flooded it is not lucrative so you have to continuously produce if you want to make any money you have to stay in people's minds so you can't you can't say i'm going to take off a year because then you have when you come back you have to all that traction that you had you have to regain that traction so my goal is five books a year and my my motto is write at least one sentence a day. Usually one sentence turns into more sentences, but if I just write one sentence, then that day has not gone to waste. I really like that. Yeah, that's kind of how I juggle everything. I either write in the morning before I go getting ready for work or I write at nighttime when I come home from work. I really like that motto because I, I feel like that like. is just so achievable for anyone and that yeah, you know, you are you're totally right that if you write one sentence, then usually more will follow, and exactly. it like takes the pressure off because it's like, oh, I've got a sentence, and you know, like if more follow, then it's like, yes, great, I've got two sentences or three or fifty, exactly. But you know, that one sentence is like the the key thing. Yes. Yeah. And telling yourself, uh, I know a lot of authors, I have friends, and they're like, I have to write five pages a day. And I'm like, Oh, that's a great that that seems easy. It's just five pages. They can be the most if your brain is not in the right, um, you know, in the right place, you won't be able to write those five pages. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes that mountain just is like you, you know, and if that compounds like day after day, then you're like, I can't write and you give up on the project. So I never put any kind of pressure on myself to write. I'm going to write five pages a day, or I'm going to write three pages a day, or, or I'm going to write, you know, a thousand words. That's just for some, that's going to be impossible. You know, especially if you're juggling a full-time job and you're juggling being a full-time parent and you're juggling, Mm -hmm. you know, a household or whatever you're doing. You know, I, I consider writing my second job, but I don't put any pressure on myself to actually produce a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like I said, one, one sentence a day, if that's all I can do, I'm good. I'm a hundred percent writing that down. I'm gonna. (laughs) Me too. That's going to become my motto. To write one (laughs) sentence a day. (laughs) And that way you feel like you haven't wasted that day. Yep. And you still get, you're like, oh, I've done something. Whereas most of the time I open the pa- open a document and I'm like, oh, I can't bring myself to finish this. Close the document. But one sentence, that's so achievable. Yeah, it's, one sentence is achieve- achievable. And I even told my son that because my son writes, he writes a comic series. And uh, he's like, you know, sometimes he says he struggles with words. And I'm like, well, just put you know, one sentence down. And if that's all you can do today, then just write your pictures, you know, draw your pictures and forget about the dialogue. And he's like, okay. So I've even told him that, to do, that you know, that's something he can uh, achieve that's reasonable. So when you started writing, um, were there any resources that you used or went to to help you improve your writing? Or did you just kind of start off and then feel your way through a bit? I definitely feel my way through when I started writing. Well, I was like I said, I was a young girl. And uh, even when I became published, I thought, oh, my book is fantastic. And then it went through the editing phase. And then when I got my first round of edits, everything was so when an editor needs to highlight something like something that's not grammatically correct or whatever, they will highlight it in yellow. Like they color code things. Like if you repeat a word, it'll be like, you know, blue if it's it's if it's a a phrase that's you know not right it'll be like yellow or something they had highlighted every single word was was and i never realized how often i used that word until i had to go and erase every freaking that was in that document and that's when i learned passive voice versus active voice and a lot of authors really write in that passive voice i was going to the store no you went to the store was going is passive, went is, is active. So it's very, you have to turn your brain around and you're like, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta learn how to write. Writing is very organic. You're constantly learning. Mm -hmm. And if you say, I don't need to learn anything, then you're not going to be a great writer. I don't consider myself, I consider myself a good writer. I don't consider myself great because I'm constantly learning. Will I ever get great? I don't think I ever will because this is the business where, you know, you just, you constantly, you'll, you'll read something from somebody's novel and you're like, oh my God, I love how she phrased that. So you have to teach yourself, how can I phrase that without using her words, but how can I phrase it to sound like that? Yeah. So you're constantly learning how to write. I agree. I th- think that even the most accomplished writers still have work to do in some places. Like, you know, you read something you're like, mm, that's not as good as the other book, this one or whatever, um, even if it's yeah. a later book. So, you know, it's not like everyone gets it right 100% of the time. Um, and that exactly. 
there's always room to improve. Um, yes. Yeah. So I think that was my biggest, my biggest thing is learning how to write and I'm still learning how to write. Were you a bit shocked when you opened like your first, you know, manuscript that had been edited and received back from the editor? Were you, did you open it and go, oh, oh wow. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap. And I have two weeks to do all this. Um, because they give you a, they give you a time slot. They're like, you know, cause they're, by the time you get to the first editing phase, there's many different edits phases. So the first, first one is going to be a broad, um, editing to bring your manuscript up to kind of like a par kind of thing. And when I saw all that yellow, I was just like, Oh my God. And then they give you like two weeks to make sure it gets done. And then you have to send it back to him. And then that after you do all the first round edits, then you'll have second round edits. And that's, Usually, um, they go and they, they get more specific, like, you know, uh, continuity or whatever is, is, you know, they'll point out things. The third round of edits is usually what they call line edits, and that'll be mm-hmm. a different editor. And she will go line by line in your manuscript. And if anything is out of place or anything is wrong, she'll highlight those. So you're going through several rounds of edits um, when, you, when you hit that phase. And it can be very daunting. The, as the years have progressed, I've gotten better at my own self-editing that, and that I, you know, when I send it off, I know I'm not going to have too many stuff back because I've, I've learned to look for what editors are looking for. So you learn in that way. I also have what we call beta readers. Beta readers are friends or colleagues or whatever, and you send them your manuscript and they, they send back their feedback like, oh, this was double, this word's been used twice in this sentence, or I don't like how this character is. And they give you feedback. And that way you can go and it's almost like a, a mini editing session yourself. Yeah. You know, like this character said this at one point or his eyes were blue here and you changed into green. Like they, they're very good at that. Yeah. So if you, uh, I highly recommend people who are, who are trying to write to find that one confidant. You can have like one friend um, and just have them read it for you. And, you know, you've got to trust somebody. Writers who are first coming out, they're very shy. Yeah. They're like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know if I trust anybody. I don't want people to make fun of me or I want them to laugh at me. And you just, you just got to say, you know what? I wrote a book. Can you write a book? Because majority of people out there are going to say, nope, can't spring, you know, two sentences together. So all these people that are kind of putting you down or saying you can't do it, that's bullcrap because you've already done it. You've already written that book. That's that's the first hurdle. So yep. don't give up. Wise words. Can you tell us a little bit about what your writing process is like? Are you a plotter or a pantser or somewhere in between? I am definitely a pantser, but I'm a okay. So I when I start a story, I know the beginning, yep. and then I know the MacGuffin. And then I know where it's going, how it's going to end. Like in my mm-hmm. head, I've already got everything. But in between, all the chapters in between, I let my characters tell their story. You know, okay. and sometimes they take me on rides, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, I did not expect, you know, the hero to go in this direction, but okay, let's go with it. And sometimes yes. you have to alter the ending or ha- alter how you perceived it was going to be because it, you have to write in a natural like. You just let your characters write. If you do that, then that's half the ball game. I find it interesting. Like there are a lot of pantsers out there. I feel um, we're plotters because we sort of have 
have to be um, with two of us writing or else we'd get the storyline so tangled up that it would <laughs> it would never work. But yeah. yeah, I'm like, wow, you know, I feel like there are a lot of people who work that way and certainly character-driven stories are a very good way to write, I think. Um, it makes it believable. Yes, characters, um, character-driven stories, I love I love character-driven stories. Most of my heroes, most of my heroines have a very dark backstory. And I love writing about the people thrust in extraordinary circumstances. I will, I don't like writing about lawyers. I don't like writing about doctors or, you know, those people, they have their jobs and that's fine. I like, to me, there are more waitresses out there. There are more people that work, you know, in my position, like in the pharmacy or the cashiers, there are more of those people. And I write for them. I take, I take characters that are like them and I thrust them into extraordinary circumstances. And then I have to think outside the box, like how the heck am I going to get them out of this, this uh, (laughs) situation? And it really, and I can sit on that for like days and I'm thinking, how do I work this out? I know that I know I can, I know that there's that story, but what am I missing to connect the dots? And then sometimes when it finally hits me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so simple, of course. And then I can finish the story. But my characters will never be like probably the typical characters of, you know, a doctor, lawyer, a corporate high roller. I even put that in my bio. I, I'm not that kind of writer. I am the girl from the wrong side of the tracks or the boy from the wrong side of the tracks and they get redeemed through love and everything's a happy ever after because this world right now it's kind of sucking and so reading a book that makes you feel good and has a happy ever happy ever after I mean that's what we all strive for right that that's kind of what we want for our lives so I don't see so that's that's kind of where I in my head that's why I like writing romance I really like that sentiment, the thinking about, I guess, who is most likely to read your book and then putting those types of people in the story that would definitely, I think, bring, like make readers connect more with your characters as well, rather than having them as not unrealistic characters, but characters that they're probably unfamiliar with and worlds they're kind of unfamiliar with. Right. Because the normal person, like I have a medical background. I've been in the medical field for, you know, over 30 years. So I, I kind of know things about medical, but you know, my husband, like for instance, he doesn't know anything medical or, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, the average person is not going to know a medical procedures or medical terminology. So they can't really, that's not. And when I read a book, if I read a book about a lawyer, I can't really relate to that because I don't know anything about the law. That doesn't mean I can't appreciate it. It just means that I'm maybe not as invested in it as some people. Mm-hmm. So that's just the way I think and the way I read my own stories or read other people's stories. I think that's fair. I feel like because I'm medical too, I'm an operating room nurse. So like I I sometimes like to bring that stuff in, but I always do it from like more of a – like. You, if I have, if I do bring it in, I have like someone who knows about it and then the character who knows nothing about it. So that one character has right. to explain it a bit more so that it's not just like stuff dumped in there. And it's kind of like, you know, the other character's like, what is going on here? <laughs> right. I wrote one historical, um, it's, and, uh, 
in the story, it was set in 1800s, eight, the late 1800s. And it, the, the female in the story, my heroine, wanted to be a doctor. But it's the 1880s. Women don't really go to college. They don't really pursue that. I actually had to do a lot of research about that book, that, you know, for that book. And then I realized, oh, there, was, there were female doctors. You know, I researched who was the first United States uh, female doctor and where did she go to school and why? And I wrote that into the story. And then in the story, she has to, she saves a man's life. He gets impaled in his thigh and his, uh, you know, his, his uh, f- uh, femoral artery is severed. So she has to save his life. And I just, I go on detail and I describe it. That was so much fun. And I kind of gory, yes, but also this is the 1880s. How did they go about doing that? How did they sew it up? You know, and I had to research all that. So I actually do put research into my books and I, I like bringing that kind of historical accuracy into my books it, when I write historicals. I don't write them that often. I'm much more of a contemporary writer. Yeah, I feel like it's fun, even though it, it takes a long time to do that research as as exactly. you and I have yeah. discovered. <laughs> yeah. Historical fiction. Our current book is historical. And it's not a cons- constant, constant research about the most, yeah. the things you wouldn't expect you'd have to research, I guess. Oh, yeah. The most mundane things. Yeah. Like uh, mm-hmm. I, wrote a, I wrote a book set in the 19, I think it was the 1920s. And in the 1920s, or was it the 1980s? Anyway, one of my historicals, it was Benjamin Franklin was on the $50 bill not Grant, because this was before Grant, you know, became, I think it was the 1880s I wrote it. It was before Grant was actually the president or he, you know, he had just been the president. So he's not on the fifties, Benjamin Franklin. So my editor, when she got it, she put a red mark on it and she's like, no, you have to change. It's the hundred. And I'm like, no, in that time period, it was <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. And she's like, well, you have to take this out because you're going to confuse the readers. And I'm like, oh man, that was like a great bit of research I did for these for these for this book and so they had I had to take that out because she's just like nope your readers are going to be like it's the hundred dollar bill not realizing that back a hundred years ago money was completely different than what it is now it's so true though you would have gotten all these like um messages like oh did you know that you had this incorrect and you'd be like oh not again do I have to explain it again <laughs> I used a word one time for my editor it was misandrant mis and drastic and it means a a hater of men and when I put it in there my editor put like a red line through it and she's like you know what you know can't use this word I'm like why she's like well it's not really a word I'm like it is a word (laughs) you're the editor (laughs) look it up and so I'm like I'm keeping the word in there so she's like okay so I kind of put my foot down on that one but it was so funny (laughs) I totally understand it my husband questions me on words all the time because me being New Zealand and him being Canadian, sometimes he's like, what, what did you just say? And I'll be like, uh, this, um, like we had one last podcast that I just slipped out and then I had to explain it for American listeners, like yonks, which is ages, (laughs) but like random things like that. Yeah. Well, one of the funny things is the, also the cultures are different. Like, okay, this is for, do you have a lot of Australian listeners or New Zealand listeners? So a few, in, the United, few. in the United States, the little thing that you put 
on around your waist, we call it a fanny pack. And so yeah. in Australia, fanny has a whole different connotation. <laughs> yeah. And they use it, they call it a bum bag. Yeah. So when I when I, I went traveling through Europe and that's what I had. And when I called it that, that I was traveling with some people and they're less like, oh my God, you can't use that word. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, because we call our butts fannies. So it was so funny because it was complete <laughs> misunderstanding. Wrong pot. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but to be fair, I feel like I'd call it a fanny pack more than a bum bag. But I'm kind of like, well, it's still in the same general area. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's just different how English, like American English, is kind of different from the English of like the rest of the world. It's just we have our own slang, so it's kind yes. of funny. Love language, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you've talked a little bit about your publishing journey kind of up until like you first got published and got that call. Do you want to tell us a bit more about like how it's been since then um, and sort of what path your publishing journey took? I, I talked a little bit how I got started in the beginning and then the learning process is to me, writing a, a book is like building a house. You have to lay the foundation first. Mm -hmm. So you lay the foundation down, you build the walls. And then after that, you, then you can go back and decorate. So in a story, when you're writing a story, if you have a really great idea, just put it down, just get your ideal down. And then you can go back and you can, you know, construct, oh, let's, you know, the, the day-to-day -day stuff. Like uh, my, my least favorite part about writing is the day-to-day -day stuff. And, you know, like yes. she gets up in the morning, she goes brush her teeth. Like how many times we all know this, you know, she goes to the bathroom. You, you, we all know this. How do you write it where it's different and the action is better? You, it's just impossible. So that's my least favorite stuff to write. But you have to put that in your building your walls because the decorating part comes when you edit and you polish it and you can, you know, make it shine. So I do that with that thought of all my books. You know, I just, I just write. And then if I have some, you know, even a bit of a writer's uh, block, then I go back and I read it, read what I've written. And if you go back and read what you've written, then you can kind of push through that and like, okay, the ideas are starting to flow. So that's what I do with my writing. I just, I go back and I read and I'm like, and then I, I've gotten to the point now at 13 years in where I can do my own self-editing and it doesn't distract me. But a lot of people, I think a lot of new authors, when they come in, or the new writers, when they come in, they think they have to edit while they write. And that is going to be a detriment to actually finishing the novel. Mm -hmm. So I always tell authors, just write it out first. It's going to, you know, the first, the first draft is always terrible, and you're never going to use your first draft. Yeah. But once you get the words down, then you can go back and you can reread it and re-edit. And until you get... Uh, familiar with the with the whole process and you become a faster stronger writer then you can go back and, and read and edit as you go along and that's what I do now it's awesome yeah I think it you know if you go back and edit like you were saying you just end up not writing and like going over it again and again um and you think yeah my stepdaughter's trying to write a book and she's like oh I've got to go back and I, it's just not right. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's right. Just put it down and then move on. 
you yeah. know, it's, it's not going to look great. Your first draft, you're never going to look great on your first draft, but that's the, that's the beauty of having where you can store your, you know, your manuscripts and then you can go back and read them and like, Oh, and don't ever throw anything away. I have so many times I've started a story and I'm like, you know what? The story is just not flowing. It's just, I'm, it's not working for me right now. So I'll go and I'll put it into stories to write. I have a folder called stories to write and I'll just put it there. And then later on, I'll be like, oh, I need to do this. And then I go back to my stories. Oh, I can use what I wrote here. I'll yeah. just change it to fit this story. So yeah. never throw anything away. For sure. I was going to ask you about um, as, as far as the publishing is going, are you still um, working with like a specific ebook publisher or are you self-publishing now or are you like because I know that things have like changed and like ebooks especially the avenues have grown in a billion different directions since it kind of started up and so I'm kind of curious like what it looks like now if you've kind of stuck with that the sort of traditional ebook publishing pathway or whether you've done something different or what's it looking like for you now I stuck with ebook publishing and I, my publisher now, my main publisher is um, called Evernight. Evernight is a huge ebook publisher of romance and I love working with them because they work with you rather than trying to tell you what to do. Yep. My first publisher, my first publisher I had, they were constantly, they were sending me covers I didn't like. And whenever right. I tried to change the cover, they would say, no, we can't change the cover. And I'll be like, one of my story, like you had mentioned about the love story trilogy in your notes. So I had this trilogy with them and I was so proud of the story because these are really like, this was the first time I'd ventured into really damaged people and trying to overcome their damage. And I was really proud of the books. And the first cover I got, the, the first book is set in Alaska and they put the girl in a bikini and I'm like... <laughs> It's Alaska. What the heck are you doing? And they're like, I was like, I can't have this cover because she's in a bikini. And he's like, they're like, no, we're not going to change it. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I was really angry at that it's because Alaska. the cover was just, it's Alaska. It's just not really appropriate. Just, no, it wasn't. I'm like, did you guys even, because what happens with the publishers, they went for the cover, they send you a questionnaire and you mm -hmm. fill it out. And they're like, even covers, like, tell me the cover that inspired you or you like or what something. And I would, I showed them covers and they sent me back this cover and she, and I'm like, did you not read the questionnaire? It's Alaska people. And, um, <laughs> I kind of got mad at that. And then the second one, they, they, they sent me the cover and it was a, uh, interracial relationship. So it was a white guy and a, an African-American woman. And the guy is supposed to be blonde and they send me this cover and he looks dark haired. And I'm like, wait a minute, this, this doesn't match my guy. Like my guy's got curly blonde hair and he's, they're like, okay. And they will revise it. And they revise it. They like, we lightened his hair and I'm looking and it went from like black to medium black. <laughs> like There was no revision. I was so mad at that. And then the third cover, the female is supposed to be a little bit more voluptuous. She's not skinny. She's more of a natural normal person rather than a stick figure and they put these boobs on her that were just humongous <laughs> and I'm just like I'm like I was so mad the whole that was the whole thing I was just so mad and I 
I actually left them. I had written a story called Dreamland and it was a time travel where the guy goes back to 1927 and they put this girl, this flapper, and she was like in a flapper bikini. And I'm like, what is it with you in bikinis? Like it, <laughs> this doesn't work. The, the story is from his point of view. The entire book is from his point of view. Why would you put her as the main cover thing? It's his point. Uh, I was so funny. mad. And that was when I decided I can't be with them anymore. So I went to Fair Evernight enough. and I, I went to this new publisher because I actually liked their covers. So I'm like, okay, I'll go with them. And Evernight always treated me right. But the only thing is they don't like repub stories. They don't like republic stories that have already been right. published. Okay. So I, I took the rights back to the my love story trilogy and I didn't know what to do with them. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try um, self-publishing. Like, why not? So I researched between the two big ones were Smashword and Amazon. Mm-hmm. And the problem with Amazon is a couple of things. Amazon... Um, does not like authors that much. They allow readers to read an ebook and then return it. So when they return ebooks, the author loses the money, but you've read their book. So it's very, you know, I, I know some of my friends, author friends, they've lost hundreds of dollars per month because people are reading books and then returning them. I, I didn't like that practice. Um, the control that you have over your 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 book at Amazon is very, very minuscule. You don't really have that much control over it. And I know it's a huge platform. They saw, you know, that's the biggest platform in the world right now is Amazon. But I wanted, I didn't like those two particular practices. So I went to Smashword and Smashword, I have 100% control over it. I can, if I want to make it a sale book item for 99 cents, I can do that. If I want to unpublish the book, I can do that. There is no refund. Um, you can't refund any of your old books. Once you buy them, you bought them. I kind of like that. Now they don't have as big as a as a fan base, so it's it's harder to sell from there. But I had very. I, I actually bought my covers. I went and found a cover artist on Fiverr. I don't know if you know what Fiverr is. Fiverr is an artist community. They you know people writing or artists or whatever. I found a digital my covers were like $35 and I was like so pleased with the covers because she did exactly what I asked her to do. Yeah. She, there's no, there's no bikini in Alaska. So, <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> yeah, they're fantastic covers and I, I could be more pleased. So all my books that I took back from my first publisher, I have since turned them into uh, printing or uh, through Smashwords and you can even Kindle people can buy off Smashword. So Hopefully. I mean, they just sold to draft to digital. So, right. yeah. but it's the same kind of platform. It's mm-hmm. the same, you know, you can buy any ebook off any ebook, ebook platform off their website. Mm. We've published through draft to digital. And the thing that I like about them is that you can switch off and switch on different because that like Amazon, you, like, I did want to clarify just for listeners, um, because there is a bit of confusion. Um, if you're on um, Kindle Unlimited, where, which is exclusive to Amazon only, you can't be on anything else. Um, that's the one where they'll um, pay you and readers can like return books and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they'll pay you like per page or whatever it is read. Um, 
Whereas you can go on Amazon and not be on Kindle Unlimited if you like untick the box and then you can then publish globally on the global marketplace, like through many different avenues. So we've published on like Amazon, Ingram Spark, Draft to Digital, Barnes and Noble, Google Books. <laughs> We're like everywhere. Yeah. We're, we're, oh, I'm managing them all separately, which is not necessarily the best way to do it, but it gives you the best return. Um, so just to sort of clarify that for for our listeners out there, although I do 100% respect your decision not to go with them because, you know, like I'd say a lot of bookstores don't like Amazon either because, you know, it's like the giant that's like swallowing up all their income as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, but that's just the way it is. That's the way it's, yeah. that's the way of the future. It's like, you know, you're reading a book on a or tablet or your phone. I have on my phone, I have an ebook reader and then I also have the Kindle reader. So I'm, I'm able to, on my Kindle, I, I am not a Kindle Unlimited um, subscriber just because I don't read that much because I'm usually writing. So my mm-hmm. books, I'll only read maybe, I'll, it'll take me a couple of weeks to read a book because the only time I ever read is when I just have a few minutes. So I'm not sitting there reading books like I used to when I was, you know, in my teenage years or in my 20s. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not a Kindle Unlimited user. So I'll just buy a book and I like that because it just uploads right to, you know, my, my, the Kindle reader. So I do like that. I'm not, I'm not anti Amazon. It's just as a writer, I just went a different path. That yeah, in, yeah. And as any writer, you have to choose the path that's right for you. And that's totally fair. Um, I'm just conscious of the time and I didn't want to give you an opportunity to, um, <laughs> to have a chat about the, Love trilogy. Sorry, love story. <laughs> yes, the love story trilogy series that you've written. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So the love story trilogy, uh, the first one, um, I wanted to write something different. So in that story, the hero cuts himself. So I had to read about and learn about the psychology of cutting, and then so in that story, it's my heroine had a was in a car accident with her family an entire family dies she's the only survivor and then she has a so when she was in the car accident her brother was like bleeding on her so she has this fear of blood and he's a cutter so where do the how do these two people overcome these hardships and broach the subject of his need to cut and i thought the psychology of that i just i love the psychology reading into it writing about it the second book um so she goes to Alaska because she was like, I'm going to replace one family with another. So she becomes a mail order bride. And believe it or not, that is still a thing that goes on. So um, I had to do research on that too. And then the, the so, but the, she doesn't marry him. She goes to the brooding hero that doesn't like her. Of course, that's all romance books. So <laughs> yeah. The guy that she doesn't marry, the second book is his story. And so okay. she's from LA. So he takes a vacation and stays in her home. And while he's there, he meets an actor and they become friends. And then through him, he meets this, this woman that's, she is um, trying to get her GED. So I had to read about that and the struggles. And I, I liked writing about that. And then the third book picks up that actor and his lifestyle and how he's, you know, in Hollywood, you're only as good as your next blockbuster movie. And if you have a couple of flops and, you know, your work is bad. So it's kind of like that story of him 
trying to become a better actor and he meets the screenwriter. So it's kind of like all three are connected, but all three are also Separate. standalones. Yeah. I like that's yeah. cool. It's, yeah, really cool. The, having the thread between them so they, I guess, can technically be read separately, but they all have that link between, which is quite yeah. cool. So that's that story. And then right now I'm working on another motorcycle series, but this one has a little paranormal twist to it. Ooh. So each story is, each story has its own like kind of little, not blatant paranormal, but one of those like, okay, that's kind of weird, kind of those m moments. So I'm enjoying writing those right now. So that's about all I'm doing right now is just writing and thinking of my next story. <laughs> Do you have any idea when those motorcycle fiction novels are going to come out? Yeah, the first book is going to come out later this summer. It's called Shadow Touched. And um, the one I'm writing now is called Shadow Kissed. And the first book, it's the heroine can see the shadow of death. So okay. she kind of warns. So she meets this motorcycle, you know, president and she, this big bad biker and she saves his life. So that's kind of like the premise. And then the second one, um, he, the big bad motorcycle person saves the heroine from burning a burning building. And he uses CPR to bring her back. And once he brings her back, he kisses her on her forehead. And now she can, she has premonition dreams about him. Okay. So that's kind of where the little paranormal twist is coming in play. It's not very blatant, but it's all these little, like, and then of course, all the heroes are always going, I don't believe in this stuff. I don't believe in it. But yeah. <laughs> they, be they become believers. <laughs> that's cool. It's very fun to write. I love it those kinds of them. stories with the, just a sprinkle of yeah, paranormal exactly. in there. I, do, I really like those books. So yeah, there's no cool. ghosts, there's no vampires, none of that. But it's this little hint of things that maybe, and the the shadow of death, I actually got the idea from, I love watching um, like Korean dramas. And there was one that was where she saw the, she was like the daughter of a grim reaper. And I really loved that. But I didn't like how the story of that drama went. So I kind of used my own imagination and I kind of brought it into this story. But that's, that's another place where I get ideas. You know, you can always get ideas from other places and then tweak it to how you want it to be. I was wondering if you had any advice for sort of other writers out there and like what would be your top tip? Top tip is read. Readers are writers and writers are readers. Read, read, read. Um, in my, when I was a little girl and when I was in my 20s, all I did was read. And it really gave me a sense of, Back in the 80s, uh, grant, the publishing world was way different. And there's a lot of head hopping. So mm -hmm. I, make sure when you write your novel or write your story, there are certain red flags that you don't want to, to hit. And one of them is head hopping. When I mean head hopping is that in the same like paragraph or same par you know, right. chapter, it'll, it'll be like her point of view and then it switches to his point of view. It goes back and yeah. forth. You don't want to do that. What you need to do is you need to separate head hopping by either the, you know, little dot, 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 or um, go to a new chapter. But you have mm -hmm. to separate the two ones and be your passive voice. And, and like I was talking about earlier, passive and active voice, be very careful of that. And uh, exposition, don't write it. You don't, you know, you, you'd rather, when you, when you watch a movie, exposition is a terrible movie. Like they tell you about it rather than seeing it. So don't do that in your novels. Don't tell the story, show the story. 
So those are probably the three biggest things that I would tell um, people that starting out writing is those three red flags. And that's going to, any publisher you send those to, if you have those flags in it, that's an automatic, like, I don't want to, you know, some publishers are like, I don't want to work with this. Yeah. Some publishers mm-hmm. will, will work with it, but you know, the less red flags you have, the more chance that a publisher is going to say, okay, well, we're going to take a chance on you. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered yet? Or um, One of the things I wanted to point, to point out to, to uh, people that are trying to write a book, the hardest thing about writing a book is, first of all, writing it. But the second hardest part is after you write your book and your publisher says yes, marketing. Like right. marketing yes. a book is so incredibly difficult. And I've spent so much money, blown so much money trying to market and trying to figure out how to get my name out there. And eventually I just hired myself a PA firm. And so they're going to start doing all my, because there's so many ways to, that you can brand yourself and market yourself. I am not good at that. I've spent way too much time and money trying to figure it out myself. And I'm doing more trying to market myself rather than writing. And so eventually I just had to let it go and say, I need to give up control and just let another, just let the people who know how to do this, do their job while I write. And so you got to spend money to make money, I guess. But that's, you know, that's the, one of the hardest things you can do is market yourself. I think that's a good point that, you know, like when you're starting out, you do want to look at like your budget and how much you end up sinking into each book as to when it becomes worthwhile to move over to that marketing firm because by the time you've spent so much then maybe it might be more financially viable to have hired that marketing firm in the first place so just food for thought I guess and there's a lot of scams out there there's there's people that will scam you out of money and say that they're going to market you and they don't do anything so just watch out for scammers too make sure they're legit yeah be careful look at websites people i reckon you can tell by a website what is professional and what is not especially we're writers we know how like most people have at least this sort of semi idea of how to spell if you're a writer so if things are like badly spelt on websites or like you know yeah the the grammar is kind of all off then you're like hmm yeah, I'm not sure I'd trust you to market my book for me. Or... Especially if you're marketing. I feel like you yeah. should maybe have that down. Exactly. Also, so. what you can do is if you are thinking about hiring somebody to do, like, you know, market for you, if they, they have to put people that they help, so mm-hmm. other authors, maybe contact that author and just say, hey, do you like this people? Is this people, are these people, like, reputable? Have you, have you noticed anything? It's okay to ask questions like that. Ask to see their portfolio. They will probably have a portfolio if they're a professional marketer. Exactly. Yeah. Some good tips there. Lots of good tips. So where can people find your book? It's probably a very big question, but where's the easiest place for people to track them down? Well, the great thing is I am, all my books are on Amazon. They're on Smashwords, places like Smashwords. Also uh, go to the publishing house, like Evernight Publishing. Um, 
authors actually make more money when you buy directly from the publishing house rather than Amazon because Amazon has to pay the publishing house or the part, the publishing house to pay Amazon fees. So you make more mm -hmm. money. The author makes more money if you get it directly from the publishing house. So that's all places that you can um, find my books. Also, um, I'm on Instagram. Um, just follow me on Instagram. I'm constantly posting pictures, uh, personal pictures I post. I post pictures of like um, when I have a new cover, cover reveals. Um, that's I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm also on other social medias, but I'm not really that active like on Facebook or Twitter. I'm more active on Instagram. And what's your Instagram handle? I think it's at Beth D. Carter or it's at, I think it's at Beth D. Carter. Perfect. So with that, we should probably wrap this episode up. It's been really great having you on, Beth. I think everyone will have learned Thank you so much. something, whether it be about publishing or a great tip like writing a sentence every day uh, from your process. So really thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. So um, next time on Dear Writer, we have a talking shop episode where we talk about our resources that we use to write. Um, but if you want to be on an author spotlight section like Beth has just done as well, uh, you can head over to lindersoncreations.com, um, hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, and it'll bring you to a drop-down menu to be featured on Dear Writer. And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm -hmm.